We're studying from the book of Daniel, uh, biblical prophecy. Now the 31st verse of chapter 2, I'm not going to read that right now, so I just want you to turn to the book of Daniel chapter 2, put your finger right on verse 31, and we'll get ready to take some notes. Everybody dreams. Now sometimes, you know, I've had people tell me, I never do dream, but you do. Everybody dreams. Sometimes there are some people who forget their dreams before they wake, but everybody dreams. And some people just dream, they just got a dream machine. I mean, I'm one of those people. I dream every night. And some of the dreams that I dream are weird. I'll not share with you tonight. I won't go into that gory detail of those dreams. But I'm often asked, what do you think this dream indicates? My answer is indigestion. Because that's probably what it does indicate, that you've had too many pizzas, you know, before you went to, to dinner, went to bed uh, that night. My brother used to love to dream. True story. I have a brother who's about eight years older than I, he loved to dream. And I can remember as a small kid, him uh, getting some uh, bread and stuff like that and just soaking it in grease and eating it before he went to sleep so he could dream. And he loved those weird and wild dreams. Weird family I came from, as you can tell. Now, Now, the people in Daniel's day didn't have a completed Bible. They didn't have the full revelation of God. And so God revealed Himself and His will and things to to Daniel in Daniel's day through dreams and visions. And because they didn't have the completed revelation, God revealed what we often have in Scripture now. He revealed in dreams and visions. Now a vision, uh, we know what a dream is, but a vision is somewhat comparable to our um, kind of hunches, we call them, you know, our uh, 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 premonitions. I was looking for that word. And I know some people, you know, I'm not into this kind of stuff, but I know there are people who just seem to be able to have premonitions of things before they happen. And so... When Daniel's, in Daniel's day, God revealed to them in dreams and in visions, premonitions. The, third, the second chapter of the book of Daniel deals with a dream that Nebuchadnezzar the king had. And this is a remarkable thing. Because the interpretation of this dream, understanding now that God was revealing through dreams things that are yet to be. This dream and its interpretation has been called the blueprint of tomorrow. And if you want to get really dramatic, you can call it the blueprint of tomorrow. Put a little inflection there. Or as some call it, the, biblical, the foundation of biblical prophecy. Now this passage that begins in verse 31 is divided into a couple of sections. Verses 31 through 35, the dream is revealed. Now I need to give you a little background because I skipped some verses on purpose. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he didn't understand it, but he knew that God, even pagan gods, revealed 
thoughts to people in their dreams. That's why Pilate's wife said to her husband when he had Jesus on trial, don't mess around with this man. It's a title translation. Don't have anything to do with this man because it has been revealed to me in a dream. And they believe that their gods, and she was a pagan, revealed through dreams, and so did Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had this dream, and he didn't understand it, and so he called in all the wise men, and he asked them to do two things. First of all, he threw them a curve. He said, tell me what I dreamed. And you can't hardly fake that, you know. I mean, I, you tell me what you, I give you an answer, often do, you know. Tr- interpret dreams, and I mean, you can tell them anything, you know, if you want to. But brother, when you get down and tell them what they dreamed, and you know, you know, that's, if you can do that, you're, you're right on, on target. So he asked them, you tell me what I dream, and you tell me the, re- the meaning of it. And they couldn't, of course. And so someone thought of Daniel. There's Daniel. We've, when, when the first lesson we had on the book of Daniel, he's this young man taken in exile from Jerusalem and out there in the city of Babylon. He's trained in, in the literature, in the language, in the style of Babylon, and he's smarter than anybody else in the kingdom, and they thought of him. And Daniel said, you give me a little time, king, and God will give me the dream and its interpretation. And so they, now we've come, and Daniel is brought before the king. Now watch this. Here is this young man who probably now is about 20 or 21 years of age. He doesn't have a long beard, and he's not an old guy like you see pictures of. He's about a 21-year-old boy, young man, and he's now standing before the king of the world. Verses 36 through 45 have to do with the interpretation of the dream and the reward that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel in interpretation. All right, so verse 31. It's interesting that Daniel doesn't say, now, did you dream this, you know? Uh, Did did you, you I'm going to have to confess tonight uh, something. When I was a senior in high school, I went to a fortune teller, palm reader. I, I hate to say it, I hate to admit it, but I did. And the amazing thing about that palm reader was she asked me all the questions, got the answers, and then told, me back, told them back to me, and I was amazed of all she knew. I mean, I got away from that, and I got thinking, now wait a minute, the reason she knew the answers is because she just asked me and I gave them to her, you know. Now, it's, this, this guy, you know, Daniel didn't go in and say, now did you, he just said, you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. That's the dream. Now all of us have seen great massive monuments, awesome monuments. You may have been to Washington, D.C. to see the Lincoln Memorial, or in Trafalgar Square, Nelson's magnificent monument. It's a, it's a cornerstone of Europe. Or maybe the Sphinx or the, uh, you know, the pyramids. All of us have seen monuments that are awesome. But this was an, a magnificent statue in this dream. And it was, it stood in splendor and it was ablaze. And it had around the top of it a halo of light around it. 
And he goes on to describe of what it was made. Now he starts from the head and he goes down to the toes. Now watch this. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, he starts from the top and he works to the bottom of this statue. And as, you, and, and as, and as you've already observed, the metals of this statue go on a decreasing term. That is, the top of the statue from the, where he starts working is of precious metal and the metals decrease in value as you come down the statue. You notice that, of course. Look at what, he's, look at what he sees. The head of gold, the breast and the arms are silver. The belly to the groin are, is bronze. The legs are iron and the feet of this statue is made of clay and, and iron. Um, by the time you get to the foot of the statue, the metal is of very little value. As a matter of fact, the feet are made out of something that, not even, that can, could not even be called a metal. Well, look at verse 34. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. So all of a sudden, appearing out of nowhere, cut out of a stone, out of a mountain-type stone, a stone appears out of nowhere. Not made, not, not there on, uh, you know, in view, just appears out of nowhere. And this stone that appears out of nowhere strikes this statue on the feet. And like London Bridge, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Now if we stop this dream at this point, we could have a ball. I mean, we could make this thing. Preachers often do, you know. I mean, you give a, you give a preacher this much, and let him stop there, and he can make this statue out of anything. I mean, you can, he can make that say anything he wants to, you know, and just take off on that. No telling what we could make out of this dream if we stop there. But that's not where the interpretation stops. In fact, Daniel interprets this dream for us and makes it clear. Now look at this. Well, we'll get to get 35. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain, look at this, and filled the whole earth. I love it. I mean, this is exciting. You can go home and turn on the tube, you won't see anything as, 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 as dramatic as this thing. Now, it's time to interpret what this dream means. So verse 36 begins the interpretation of the dream. This was the dream, now we shall tell the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, little K now, the greatest king of all the kings. 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. God has given you this power, the God of heaven. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, or the birds of the sky, He has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. All right, so that the head here of this statue was Babylon, the head of gold. And he moves down the statue to identify the rest of it. Look at this. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. And that's why the metals decrease in value as you go down the statue. There is another kingdom coming after you. Now that's pretty much of a shock, wouldn't you think, to Nebuchadnezzar. Here's a man who told him what he dreamed, and now he's telling him what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar had a pretty good idea. He's going to be there forever. In a minute, I'm going to show you how the, the city of Babylon was built so as that city would always be there. And here's a man, a prophet, telling him he's, his kingdom is short-lived. Wasn't going to be there forever. It's going to be a kingdom after you. That must have rocked him on his heels. All right, look at this. It says, Another king, kingdom will rise after, inferior to you. That's this kingdom. Now, just mark down here and we'll get way ahead of ourselves and we'll get to it sooner or later, probably later, a few weeks. But in the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel, we find that this kingdom here, the silver, is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The Middle, the Middle Persian Empire. And then there is another, he calls it the Bronze Kingdom. It's the kingdom Alexander the Great and the Grecians come. And that kingdom, it seemed like that Alexander's kingdom would always... In fact, he was the, wasn't he the guy that looked around and wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer? And after this kingdom, he said, there's the kingdom of iron, the Romans, the iron fists of the Romans, who ruled until the third century, and then they divided into two areas, two kinds, two kingdoms in essence, and then this last. All right? The bronze is Alexander the Grecians, the iron, the Romans. Now, not long ago, I read something interesting from some com commentary. Listen to what I said. The city where Daniel lived was a spectacle to make any city planner's tongue hang out in envy. It was 60 miles in circumference. Walls, the walls were 350 feet high and 87 feet wide, and there was a moat completely around it. Inside this city were the famous hanging gardens looming 180 feet in the air. The two major buildings were the temple and the, and the palace, three miles and eight miles in circumference, and both of them were completely covered with gold. Thus, the Babylonian, the gold. The second kingdom was Darius's kingdom of the Medes. When he defeated the Babylonians, did Darius, the Medo-Persian Empire, 
he developed a new system for running the world called tribute. He extracted money from captives and he made them pay in silver. The third kingdom, the Grecians came, known for their battle ability, and they de developed a new battle gear. They started wearing short clothes for easier maneuverability, and they perfected metal uh, protective devices, including shields made of a material never before used in battle, bronze. Then the Roman introduced an era of toughness with implements of iron. They remained fiercely strong until they separated in the third century into two areas. So the statue of legs divided or spread at the groin. Interesting concept. Would you, would you agree or would you not? Now, remember this, that hundreds of years before this happened, Daniel stands to tell the king of Babylon that this is how the world kingdoms will develop and they will fall one right after the other. Babylon will fall, then the Medo-Persian Empire will fall, then the Greeks, then the Romans, then the feet. Now the focus of this uh, dream is on the clay. Let's look at verses 41 and 42. Well, verse 41 says, And in that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. Now here's the mixture. The contents of these feet of this statue is made up of clay with iron filings mixed in the clay. Now when you mix iron filings in pottery, it doesn't make it strong, it weakens it. So that there is, there can be no adherence if there are iron filings in, in the clay. And the point is, when you make in clay, is to get the iron filings out. See. Now look at verse 43. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Now, what is interjected in this is the term, the seed of men. Now, what is the seed of men? You got iron filings and you got clay. What is the seed of men? Well, that's not, you don't have to be a Harvard graduate to know what the seed of men, how what that refers to. It refers to man's nature. 
man's humanity. It refers to the sinful nature of man, to the selfishness of man, to man's humanity. It refers to his wrong counsel. And so you have what he's, what he's saying here is that you have this clay which is the stream of humanity and there are two conflicting terms here. There is the iron will of authority and the clay-like voice of the people. That is, the clay-like humanity of humanity. The selfishness and the sinful nature of humanity. Now, there are two interpretations about what is made up here, what this involves here. And we're going to look at those later, but... Um, you know, so we're not going to really have a whole lot to say about that right, right now. But I want to say this, that what this prophecy seems to indicate is, as it, ref, as it relates to the end time, the end of the age, that this kingdom, whatever this kingdom is, and there are many who believe that this is, is a reference to the kingdom that, makes, that is made up of the Western world, the Western Empire, it is, its weakness, its weakness is because of the sinfulness of man, the inhumanity of man, the sinfulness of man, man's human nature. So that when this, this kingdom falls that uh, is represented in the feet, it will be because of the inner weakness of that kingdom. Some people would like to say that we're witnessing the evidence of that today in the grassroots of, of, uh, of uh, American life there is um, the worst farms, worse and worse are we becoming, is it becoming evident of man's sinful nature. Man's sinful nature. Now I'm fixing to be labeled as a heretic, but I'm, that's all right. It seems to me that the greatest farm of, of, um, of government is a monarchy if the monarch is righteous, if he's God, if he's a godly man. And oftentimes, the weakness of a nation occurs when its people, if that nation consists of a democracy, and the people who are part of that democracy are, are out of the will of God and and sinful and obedient to their sinful nature. That's another problem. We're going to look at that at a later time. Now, what is this stone that's there? What is this stone? Well, in biblical revelation, the stone is, is Jesus. I mean, that's obvious. The stone is Jesus. He is the great cornerstone. He said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, your faith in me. Jesus is this stone. Now watch this carefully. Jesus is going to establish a kingdom that will fill the world, you see. That will fill the earth. 
Now, if you are of the premillennial persuasion, you are now thinking of this, that one of these days Jesus will return and establish His earthly kingdom and it will fill the earth and rule. He will rule the earth. If you're of the non-millennial persuasion, if you're all millennial, then you're, you're thinking, well, he's talking about the fact that at the end of the age, when Jesus establishes his heavenly kingdom, he will rule in heaven with his people. But whatever you believe concerning eschatology, concerning the end time and the end events, you cannot escape the fact that in the book of Daniel, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus Christ, this great man of God saw the fact that Jesus was to establish a kingdom that would never end. Hallelujah. He's saying that Jesus is the King of kings. And in the final analysis, all these kingdoms that men build and establish, whatever those kingdoms are, in the final analysis, they all come tumbling down to the stone. And the stone fills the earth. And this king of kings rules. Isn't it significant that we're in the in the midst of all that's happening in our world to be able to put our hands on the truth and fact that in the whatever happens in this world, no kingdom will be established forever except the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. And He will reign forever. Now follow with me now as we go on. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. That's shouting ground. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, it's going back up the mountain, up the statue. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now what you see now is a remarkable thing. Daniel's just now announced to the king that his kingdom's not going to last. In fact, it's not even going to last the assault of the Medes and the Persians. And what he's telling this king, this, this pagan man, that there is one and he's, you know, uh, of God. He is God. And this God of heaven will crush all these kingdoms and will establish his kingdom and, and it will last forever. Now, if I'm a king, I'm not going to take too lightly to that kind of prophecy. But this king, notice what he did. He fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. Now, I want you to understand the magnitude of that. Isn't it significant that when a man is faithful to announce, is faithful to announce that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, even kings bow to that. 
That's what Jesus meant when he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. It seems to me that we need to recognize that the answer to the problems of the world is, the, is, is that there is not enough of the announcement of Jesus as Lord. There's power in that announcement. You see what I'm saying? And the king fell on his face, did homage to Daniel, gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. And the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries since you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men, made him president of the university. And here's what Daniel did. And he made a request of the king. He said, I've got three friends. Now I want you to turn back to the 16th verse of the second chapter. I want to show you where these men came in. Who were these men? They were these three young boys that studied with Daniel in the universe. And they became his prayer partner. I want you to look at verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends... Here's their Jewish names. In order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed. Let me tell you what happened. When the dream, when the, when the moment of truth arose, Daniel said, give me a little time. And he got with his three prayer partners and these three men went before God. And when the answer came to Daniel and Daniel was promoted, he didn't forget his friends. Uh, just by way of some practical truth here, you're not, no man is an island so that you've not gotten where you are without the help of others. Don't you forget them. You've just been recently blessed or promoted. Have you thought to say thank you to the people who helped you get there? Now there are three, there are two closing thoughts. I want you to get these and we're out of here. Number one, we are rapidly approaching the end of time. Now, I don't know how many times you've heard that said, but it's no more true, it has never been more true than when it's said now. We are rapidly approaching the end of time. I believe that firmly. This week I've had two telephone calls while I, at home of people that I don't really know, one I knew, one I didn't, asking me questions about what, what I believed about the fulfillment of, the, of, the, of um, you know, prophecy and all that in light of what's happening in the Middle East. I don't know the answers to that. And I'm not going to play like I do. But I do believe this. I believe that we better get our house in order we're rapidly approaching the end of time.
Second, all investments in earthly kingdoms are temporary at best. All investments in earthly kingdoms are temporary at best. You put your money in the kingdom of Babylon, you've just lost your money. You invest your time and your energy in earthly kingdoms and you, you just lost your time and energy. It's a waste of time and energy to invest in earthly kingdoms. They are temporary at best. Where should you put your time and energy? Let me tell you where you should. In the kingdom that will last, outlast all kingdoms. In the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. And it doesn't make much sense to me to see it any other way. That if there is a kingdom that will last forever, and we know what that kingdom is, why aren't we putting our time and energy in the establishment and in the edification, in the construction of that kingdom? That's what Jesus meant when He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things that pertain to this earthly kingdom will be added to you. So if you want to invest in something that lasts forever, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you want to invest in something that will not be just temporary, you invest in the kingdom of God and all the implications of that. For Paul said that now abideth faith, hope, and love. Three things. The greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, we stand amazed at how we see the unfolding of history before our eyes as we sit in our living room and watch CNN news. And we come back to the reality, the realization that there is a kingdom that outlasts all kingdoms, kingdom of our God and of His Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. Lord, help us to place the focus of our energy and time and life, the priority of our time and life and energy upon that kingdom, upon that king, of that kingdom. Let it begin with us tonight, for we pray in Jesus' name.